0: Section 39 of The Interpretation of Dreams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Section 39. The Forgetting of Dreams, Part 1. Among the dreams which have been communicated to me by others, there is one which is at this point especially worthy of our attention. It was told me by a female patient who had heard it related in a lecture on dreams. Its original source is unknown to me. This dream evidently made a deep impression upon the lady, since she went so far as to imitate it. That is, to repeat the elements of this dream in a dream of her own, in order by this transference to express her agreement with a certain point in the dream. The preliminary conditions of this typical dream were as follows. A father had been watching day and night beside the sick bed of his child. After the child died, he retired to rest in an adjoining room, but left the door ajar so that he could look from his room into the next, where the child's body lay surrounded by tall candles. An old man, who had been installed as a watcher, sat beside the body murmuring prayers. After sleeping for a few hours, the father dreamed that the child was standing by his bed, clasping his arm and crying reproachfully. Father, don't you see that I am burning? The father woke up and noticed a bright light coming from the adjoining room. Rushing in, he found that the old man had fallen asleep, and the sheets and one arm of the beloved body were burnt by a fallen candle. The meaning of this affecting dream is simple enough and the explanation given by the lecturer, as my patient reported it, was correct. The bright light shining through the open door onto the sleeper's eyes gave him the impression which he would have received had he been awake, namely, that a fire had been started near the corpse by a falling candle. It is quite possible that he had taken into his sleep his anxiety, lest the aged watcher should not be equal to his task. We can find nothing to change in this interpretation. We can only add that the content of the dream must be overdetermined, and that the speech of the child must have consisted of phrases which it had uttered while still alive and which were associated with important events for the father. Perhaps the complaint, I am burning, was associated with the fever from which the child died, and, Father, don't you see, to some other affective occurrence unknown to us. Now, when we have come to recognize that the dream has meaning, and can be fitted into the context of psychic events, it may be surprising that a dream should have occurred in circumstances which called for such an immediate waking. We shall then note that even this dream is not lacking in a wish fulfillment. The dead child behaves as though alive. He warns his father himself. He comes to his father's bed and clasps his arm, as he probably did in the recollection from which the dream obtained the first part of the child's speech it was for the sake of this wish-fulfillment that the father slept a moment longer the dream was given precedence over waking reflection because it was able to show the child still living if the father had waked first and had then drawn the conclusion which led him into the adjoining room he would have shortened the child's life by this one moment there can be no doubt about the peculiar features in this brief dream which engage our particular interest So far we have endeavoured mainly to ascertain wherein the secret meaning of the dream consists, how it is to be discovered, and what means the dream work uses to conceal it. In other words, our greatest interest has hitherto been centred on the problems of interpretation. Now, however, we encounter a dream which is easily explained, and the meaning of which is without disguise. We note that, nevertheless, this dream preserves the essential characteristics Which conspicuously differentiate a dream from our waking thoughts, and this difference demands an explanation. It is only when we have disposed of all the problems of interpretation that we feel how incomplete is our psychology of dreams. But before we turn our attention to this new path of investigation, let us stop and look back and consider whether we have not overlooked something important on our way hither. For we must understand that the easy and comfortable part of our journey lies behind us hitherto all the paths that we have followed have led if i mistake not to light to explanation and to full understanding but from the moment when we seek to penetrate more deeply into the psychic processes in dreaming all paths lead into darkness it is quite impossible to explain the dream as a psychic process for to explain means to trace back to the known, and as yet we have no psychological knowledge to which we can refer such explanatory fundamentals as may be inferred from the psychological investigation of dreams. On the contrary, we shall be compelled to advance a number of new assumptions, which do little more than conjecture the structure of the psychic apparatus and the play of the energies active in it, and we shall have to be careful not to go too far beyond the simplest logical construction, since otherwise its value will be doubtful. And even if we should be unerring in our inferences, And take cognizance of all the logical possibilities, we should still be in danger of arriving at a completely mistaken result owing to the probable incompleteness of the preliminary statement of our elementary data. We shall not be able to arrive at any conclusions as to the structure and function of the psychic instrument from even the more careful investigation of dreams or of any other isolated activity, or at all events, we shall not be able to confirm our conclusions. To do this we shall have to collate such phenomena as the comparative study of a whole series of psychic activities proves to be reliably constant so that the psychological assumptions which we base on the analysis of the dream processes will have to mark time as it were until they can join up with the results of other investigations which proceeding from another starting point will seek to penetrate to the heart of the same problem a the forgetting of dreams i propose then that we shall, first of all, turn our attention to a subject which brings us to a hitherto disregarded objection, which threatens to undermine the very foundation of our efforts at dream interpretation. The objection has been made from more than one quarter that the dream which we wish to interpret is really unknown to us, or, to be more precise, that we have no guarantee that we know it as it really occurred. What we recollect of the dream, and what we subject to our methods of interpretation, is in the first place, mutilated by the unfaithfulness of our memory, which seems quite peculiarly incapable of retaining dreams, and which may have omitted precisely the most significant parts of their content. For when we try to consider our dreams attentively, we often have reason to complain that we have dreamed much than we remember, that unfortunately we know nothing more than this one fragment, and that our recollection of even this fragment seems to us strangely uncertain. Moreover, everything goes to prove that our memory reproduces the dream not only incompletely but also untruthfully in a falsifying manner as on the one hand we may doubt whether what we dreamed was really as disconnected as it is in our recollections so on the other hand we may doubt whether a dream was really as coherent as our account of it whether in our attempted reproduction we have not filled in the gaps which really existed or those which are due to forgetfulness with new and arbitrarily chosen material. Whether we have not embellished the dream, rounded it off and corrected it, so that any conclusion as to its real content becomes impossible. Indeed, one writer, Spita, surmises that all that is orderly and coherent is really first put into the dream during the attempt to recall it. Thus, we are in danger of being deprived of the very object whose value we have undertaken to determine. In all our dream interpretations, we have hitherto ignored these warnings on the contrary indeed we have found that the smallest most insignificant and most uncertain components of the dream content invited interpretations no less emphatically than those which were distinctly and certainly contained in the dream in the dream of irma's injection we read i quickly called in dr m and we assumed that even this small addendum would not have got into the dream if it had not been susceptible of a special deprivation in this way we arrive at the history of that unfortunate patient to whose bedside i quickly called my older colleague in the seemingly absurd dream which treated the difference between fifty one and fifty six as a quantity negligible the number fifty one was mentioned repeatedly instead of regarding this as a matter of course or a detail of indifferent value we proceeded from this to a second train of thought in the latent dream content which led to the number fifty one and by following up this clue we arrived at the fears which proposed fifty-one years as the term of life in the sharpest opposition to a dominant train of thought which was boastfully lavish of the years in the dream non vixit i found as an insignificant interpolation that i had at first overlooked the sentence as p does not understand him f l asks me etc the interpretation then coming to a standstill i went back to these words and i found through them the way to the infantile fantasy which appeared in the dream thoughts as an intermediate point of junction this came about by means of the poet's verses seldom have you understood me seldom have i understood you but when we found ourselves in the mire we at once understood each other every analysis will afford evidence of the fact that the most insignificant features of the dream are indispensable to interpretation and will show how the completion of the task is delayed if we postpone our examination of them. We have given equal attention in the interpretation of dreams to every nuance of verbal expression found in them. Indeed, whenever we are confronted by a senseless or insufficient wording, as though we had failed to translate the dream into the proper version, we have respected even these defects of expression. In brief, what other writers have regarded as arbitrary improvisations, concocted hastily to avoid confusion we have treated like a sacred text this contradiction calls for explanation it would appear without doing any injustice to the writers in question that the explanation is in our favour from the standpoint of our newly acquired insight into the origin of dreams all contradictions are completely reconciled it is true that we distort the dream in our attempt to reproduce it we once more find therein what we have called the secondary and often misunderstanding elaboration of the dream by the agency of normal thinking but this distortion is itself no more than a part of the elaboration to which the dream thoughts are constantly subjected as a result of the dream censorship other writers have here suspected or observed that part of the dream distortion whose work is manifest but for us this is of little consequence as we know that a far more extensive work of distortion not so easily apprehended has already taken the dream for its object from among the hidden dream thoughts the only mistake of these writers consists in believing the modification effected in the dream by its recollection and verbal expression to be arbitrary incapable of further solution and consequently liable to lead us astray in our cognition of the dream they underestimate the determination of the dream in the psyche here there is nothing arbitrary It can be shown that in all cases a second train of thought immediately takes over the determination of the elements which have been left undetermined by the first. For example, I wish quite arbitrarily to think of a number. But this is not possible. The number that occurs to me is definitely and necessarily determined by thoughts within me which may be quite foreign to my momentary purpose. The modifications which the dream undergoes in its revision by the waking mind are just as little arbitrary they preserve an associative connection with the content whose place they take and serve to show us the way to this content which may itself be a substitute for yet another content in analyzing the dreams of patients, i impose the following test of this assertion and never without success if the first report of a dream seems not very comprehensible i request the dreamer to repeat it this he rarely does in the same words but the passages in which the expression is modified are thereby made known to me as the weak points of the dream's disguise. They are what the embroidered emblem on Siegfried's raiment was to Hagen. These are the points from which the analysis may start. The narrator has been admonished by my announcement that I intend to take special pains to solve the dream, and immediately, obedient to the urge of resistance, he protects the weak points of the dream's disguise, replacing a treacherous expression by a less relevant one he thus calls my attention to the expressions which he has discarded from the efforts made to guard against the solution of the dream i can also draw conclusions about the care with which the raiment of the dream has been woven the writers whom i have mentioned are however less justified when they attribute so much importance to the doubt with which our judgment approaches the relation of the dream for this doubt is not intellectually warranted our memory can give no guarantees but nevertheless we are compelled to credit its statements far more frequently than is objectively justifiable doubt concerning the accurate reproduction of the dream or of individual data of the dream is only another offshoot of the dream censorship that is of resistance to the emergence of the dream thoughts into consciousness this resistance has not yet exhausted itself by the displacements and substitutions which it has effected so that it still clings in the form of doubt to what has been allowed to emerge we can recognise this doubt all the more readily in that it is careful never to attack the intensive elements of the dream but only the weak and indistinct ones. But we already know what a transvaluation of all the psychic values has taken place between the dream thoughts and the dream. The distortion has been made possible only by devaluation. It constantly manifests itself in this way and sometimes contents itself therewith. If doubt is added to the indistinctness of an element of the dream content, we may, following this indication, recognize in this element a direct offshoot of one of the outlawed dream thoughts. The state of affairs is like that obtaining after a great revolution in one of the republics of antiquity or the renaissance. The once powerful ruling families of the nobility are now banished. All high posts are filled by upstarts. In the city itself, only the poorer and more powerless citizens or the remoter followers of the vanquished party are tolerated. Even the latter do not enjoy the full rights of citizenship. They are watched with suspicion. In our case, instead of suspicion, we have doubt. I must insist, therefore, that in the analysis of a dream, one must emancipate oneself from the whole scale of standards of reliability. And if there is the slightest possibility that this or that may have occurred in the dream, it should be treated as an absolute certainty. Until one has decided to reject all respect for appearances in tracing the dream elements, the analysis will remain at a standstill. Disregard of the element concerned has a psychic effect, in the person analyzed, that is nothing in connection with the unwished ideas behind this element will occur to him. This effect is really not self-evident, it would be quite reasonable to say. Whether this or that was contained in the dream, I do not know for certain. But the following ideas happen to occur to me. But no one ever does say so. It is precisely the disturbing effect of doubt in the analysis that permits it to be unmasked as an offshoot and instrument of the psychic resistance. Psychoanalysis is justifiably suspicions. One of its rules runs, whatever disturbs the progress of the work is a resistance. The peremptory statement, whatever disturbs the progress of the work is a resistance, might easily be misunderstood. It has, of course, the significance merely of a technical rule, a warning for the analyst. It is not denied that during an analysis events may occur which cannot be ascribed to the intention of the person analyzed. The patient's father may die in other ways than by being murdered by the patient, or a war may break out and interrupt the analysis. But despite the obvious exaggeration of the above statement, there is still something new and useful in it. Even if the disturbing event is real and independent of the patient, the extent of the disturbing influence does not depend only on him and the resistance reveals itself unmistakably in the ready and immoderate exploitation of such an opportunity. The forgetting of dreams too remains inexplicable until we seek to explain it by the power of the psychic censorship. The feeling that one has dreamed a great deal during the night and has retained only a little of it may have yet another meaning in a number of cases. It may perhaps mean that the dream-work has continued in a perceptible manner throughout the night but has left behind it only one brief dream there is however no possible doubt that a dream is progressively forgotten on waking one often forgets it in spite of a painful effort to recover it i believe however that just as one generally overestimates the extent of this forgetting so also one overestimates the lacunae in our knowledge of the dream due to the gaps occurring in it all the dream content that has been lost by forgetting can often be recovered by analysis. In a number of cases, at all events, it is possible to discover from a single remaining fragment, not the dream of course, which after all is of no importance, but the whole of the dream thoughts. It requires a greater expenditure of attention and self suppression in the analysis, that is all, but it shows that the forgetting of the dream is not innocent of hostile intention. A convincing proof of the tendentious nature of dream forgetting, of the fact that it serves a resistance, is obtained on analysis by investigating a preliminary stage of forgetting. It often happens that, in the midst of an interpretation, an omitted fragment of the dream suddenly emerges, which is described as having been previously forgotten. This part of the dream that has been wrested from forgetfulness is always the most important part. It lies in the shortest path to the solution of the dream, and for that every reason it was most exposed to the resistance. Among the examples of dreams that I have included in the text of this treatise, it once happened that I had subsequently to interpolate a fragment of dream content. The dream is a dream of travel, which revenges itself on two unamiable travelling companions. I have left it almost entirely uninterpreted, as part of its content is obscene. The part omitted reads, I said, referring to a book of skilas, it is from, but corrected myself as I realized my mistake. It is by, whereupon the man remarked to his sister, Yes, he said it correctly. Such corrections in the use of foreign languages are not rare in dreams, but they are usually attributed to foreigners. Maury, while he was studying English, once dreamed that he informed someone that he had called on him the day before in the following words, I called for you yesterday. The other answered correctly, You mean I called on you yesterday. Self-correction in dreams, which to some writers seem so wonderful, does not really call for consideration. But I will draw from my own memory an instance typical of verbal errors in dreams. I was 19 years of age when I visited England for the first time, and I spent a day on the shore of the Irish Sea. Naturally enough, I amused myself by picking up the marine animals left on the beach by the tide, and I was just examining a starfish. The dream begins with Holtern, Holoturian when a pretty little girl came up to me and asked me, Is it a starfish? Is it alive? I replied, Yes, he is alive, but then felt ashamed of my mistake and repeated the sentence correctly. For the grammatical mistake which I then made, the dream substitutes another, which is quite common among German people. Das Buch ist von Schiller is not to be translated by, The book is from, but by, The book is by that the dream work accomplishes this substitution because the word from according to its consonance with the german adjective from pious devout makes a remarkable condensation possible should no longer surprise us after all that we have heard of the intentions of the dream work and its unscrupulous selection of means but what relation has this harmless recollection of the seashore to my dream it explains by means of a very innocent example that i have used the word the word denoting gender or sex or the sexual he in the wrong place this is surely one of the keys to the solution of the dream those who have heard of the derivation of the book title matter and motion moliere in la malade imaginaire la matière et elle laudable a motion of the bowels will readily be able to supply the missing parts moreover I can prove conclusively, by a demonstratio ad oculos, that the forgetting of the dream is in a large measure the work of the resistance. A patient tells me that he has dreamed, but that the dream has vanished without leaving a trace, as if nothing had happened. We set to work. However, I come upon a resistance which I explain to the patient, encouraging and urging him. I help him to become reconciled to some disagreeable thought, and I have hardly succeeded in doing so when he exclaims. Now I can recall what I dreamed. The same resistance which that day disturbed him in the work of interpretation caused him also to forget the dream. By overcoming this resistance, I have brought back the dream to his memory. In the same way, the patient having reached a certain part of the work may recall a dream which occurred three, four or more days ago and which has hitherto remained in oblivion. Psychoanalytical experience has furnished us with yet another proof of the fact that the forgetting of dreams depends far more on the resistance than on the mutually alien character of the waking and sleeping states, as some writers have believed it to depend. It often happens to me, as well as to other analysts and to patients under treatment, that we are waked from sleep by a dream, as we say, and that immediately thereafter, while in full possession of our mental faculties, we begin to interpret the dream. Often in such cases, I have not rested until I have achieved a full understanding of the dream, and yet it has happened that after waking I have forgotten the interpretation work as completely as I have forgotten the dream content itself, though I have been aware that I have dreamed and that I have interpreted the dream. The dream has far more frequently taken the result of the interpretation with it into forgetfulness than the intellectual faculty has succeeded in retaining the dream in a memory. But between this work of interpretation and the waking thoughts, there is not that psychic abyss by which other writers have sought to explain the forgetting of dreams when morton prince objects to my explanation of the forgetting of dreams on the ground that it is only a special case of the amnesia of dissociated psychic states and that the impossibility of applying my explanation of this special amnesia to other types of amnesia makes it valueless even for its immediate purpose he reminds the reader that in all his descriptions of such dissociated states He has never attempted to discover the dynamic explanation underlying these phenomena. For had he done so, he would surely have discovered that repression, and the resistance produced thereby, is the cause not of these dissociations merely, but also of the amnesia of their psychic content. The dreams are as little forgotten as other psychic acts, that even in their power of impressing themselves on the memory, they may fairly be compared with the other psychic performances, was proved to me by an experiment, which I was able to make while preparing the manuscript of this book. I had preserved in my notes a great many dreams of my own, which, for one reason or another, I could not interpret, or, at the time of dreaming them, could interpret only very imperfectly. In order to maintain the material to illustrate my assertion, I attempted to interpret some of them a year or two later. In this attempt, I was invariably successful. Indeed, I may say, That the interpretation was effected more easily after all this time than when the dreams were of recent occurrence. As a possible explanation of this fact, I would suggest that I had overcome many of the internal resistances which had disturbed me at the time of dreaming. In such subsequent interpretations, I have compared the odd yield of dream thoughts with the present result, which has usually been more abundant, and I have invariably found the old dream thoughts unaltered among the present ones. However, I soon recovered from my surprise when I reflected that I had long been accustomed to interpret dreams of former years that had occasionally been related to me by my patients as though they had been dreams of the night before, by the same method and with the same success. In the section on anxiety dreams, I shall include two examples of such delayed dream interpretations. When I made this experiment for the first time, I expected, not unreasonably, that dreams would behave in this connection merely like neurotic symptoms. For when I treat a psychoneurotic, for instance, an hysterical patient by psychoanalysis, I am compelled to find explanations for the first symptoms of the malady, which have long since disappeared, as well as for those still existing symptoms which have brought the patient to me. And I find the former problem easier to solve than the more exigent one of today. In the studies in hysteria, published as early as 1895, I was able to give the explanation of a first hysterical attack which the patient, a woman over 40 years of age, had experienced in her 15th year. Dreams which have occurred during the first years of childhood, and which have sometimes been retained in the memory for decades with perfect sensorial freshness, are almost always of great importance for the understanding of the development and the neurosis of the dreamer the analysis of them protects the physician from errors and uncertainties which might confuse him even theoretically end of section thirty nine read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama